I'd invite you to remain standing for our reading of Scripture this morning. She comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We read verses 1 through 7. The words of the Gospel tell us this. In those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration was taken while Canarius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and lied him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So have you ever had to do something that you just really didn't want to do? It starts with getting up on Sunday morning to go to church. <laughs> it's okay to admit how many really, really want to admit or don't want to admit that you just would rather have slept in. I'll be the first. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I'll be the first one to admit. Any of you, definitely nobody here in this congregation, but anybody ever just put stuff off to the last minute? I never put anything off, right, Kate? I think the worst thing that I am at putting off, something I really don't want to do, something that usually piles up to the very end is my laundry. Anybody else? I hate to put up laundry. Anybody ever, ever plan something and then have your plans change at the last minute? Never happened to you, right? The year 2020 did not exist for anybody, right? <laughs> We've all had plans change. What's the, the feeling that usually comes up when, when plans change? I know for me, it's usually the first feeling is disappointment. Disappointment. Let's think about Mary for a moment and Mary's position and where she's at. Mary has everything prepared and arranged for this baby's arrival in her hometown of Nazareth. She's nine months pregnant and, and, and ready to deliver any time now. And then all of a sudden, a, a messenger comes to the town and announces that everybody must go to the hometown of the man of the house in order for a census to be taken, in order to be, quote, registered. Anybody want to guess why the emperor wants a registration done? Tax time. Is there any more people living in town so that way we can charge more taxes? That's the basis for Emperor Augustus' reason to call a census. So she's got everything arranged and prepared, and now finds out she has to travel 80-something miles to Bethlehem for something in her mind, and perhaps to many, something that's completely irrelevant and ill-purposeful. 
Can you imagine Mary's feeling? Can you imagine disappointment setting in? Can we relate to that this morning? How many of us would not want to do it? How many of us would not want to go? You know, we don't know Mary's reaction. Um, we don't know whether she cried out in anger. Uh, we don't know if she, if she cried out in frustration, uh, anxiety to God over this. I know how I would be reacting. I'd be pitching a fit. Anybody say amen to that? I'd be pitching a fit. I wouldn't want to do it. We don't know if Mary took it in stride and said, Thine will be done, God. We don't know what she did. But, but again, I know how I would react. And I know how most people here probably would react. And you know how you would react. But think about it for a second. This is one of the most compelling parts of the entire story. Because had Mary and Joseph not been forced to travel back to Bethlehem, they would not have, and the story would have been significantly different. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. amen. There is deeper meaning to these events that Mary could not understand, and there are deeper meanings to the things that God does in our lives that we don't understand perhaps at first. In the instance of Mary, God is taking the greedy decisions of an emperor and forcing them into serving God's own perfect saving purposes. This has been the theme. Have you noticed this theme throughout this whole series for those who, who ha have been here uh, for multiple weeks? This is the theme that's permeated throughout this series. That God works in us, that God works through us, that God works despite of us, despite the circumstances of this world, and works for good to them who love the Lord. You know, for me, whenever I have to do something that I don't want to do, like the laundry, the hardest part is usually just getting started. But then, but then once I get started, I, I get into a pretty good rhythm. I get into a good groove. And I can get things done. Anybody, ever, anybody else the same way? Once I get going, I'm good. It's just that mental ineptitude to actually start. And, you know, I can imagine and picture the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be a little bit like this. The hardest part for Mary and Joseph is just getting started. But after, after going for a while and, and uh, uh, getting down the road, you know, we, our energy level goes up. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're getting places. Well, once you see you, you've left Nazareth behind and there's road in front of you, you go on a road trip, you know, as soon as you get out of town, the energy level's high, you're ready to get there, and, and everything is good to go for a few minutes. And, you know, then maybe the lull of the trip comes. And it's just like, oh my goodness, when are we going to get there? Anybody else? You know, the, the countryside between Nazareth to Bethlehem, it wasn't like going down Highway 425 or, or I-10 or I-20. It wasn't just a straight shot with a built-in 
uh, track that went straight. It, they, they had built-in paths, and, and, and we don't know the exact path that they took. They likely took the, the, the Patriarch's Pathway, which would have cut right down through Samaria into the mountains and, and down into Jerusalem. But the terrain, as you get out from Nazareth south, it becomes hillier and hillier and hillier. And as you go further south, it gets more and more and more dry. And so the steeper travel, I can imagine, make things way more difficult. Especially if you're nine months pregnant and the only thing you have to travel on is a donkey that's about yay high off the ground. And I can imagine that she felt every single bump. But once they saw Jerusalem, maybe several days in, they, they, they knew the journey was almost over. Maybe they got their, the, their energy back a little bit because they realized their destination wasn't far out of that city. So imagine perhaps they walked with a little more brisk in their step, with a little more bounce once they saw the holy city. Once, once they reached Bethlehem, though, I can imagine they're rejoicing. What is the reaction that we get every time we arrive? Finally, I made it. I can imagine they're rejoicing, but they actually, once they got to Bethlehem, they faced a few more challenges before they could relax, did they not? The story, this is where it gets fun and interesting, y'all. The story portrays them, once they get into Bethlehem, looking for space in a, quote, inn. I don't know about you, but in reading this, and, and even years ago, my first thought was this. This is Joseph's hometown, is it not? When I go home to my hometown, I stay with family. I, I, I don't go to an inn. And this is probably, you know, 16, 17-year-old me thinking this. So the question becomes, for me in this situation, perhaps you've asked the same one, why didn't they look to stay with Joseph's family? Why were they looking for a hotel? Well, the Greek word used for the word in in this context is the Greek word kataluma. Everybody say kataluma. Kataluma. There is only one other instance in all of Scripture where the Greek word kataluma was used, and that was the word that Jesus spoke to his disciples whenever he said, go and seek out a room for us to dine in. A room for the purpose of their last supper together. This was the only other instance that the word kataluma was used. And the room that they would dine in, the upper room that it would become known as, was not a room in an inn. They never sought a room in an inn. It was a room at someone's private property, someone's house. It was a guest room in someone's house. The word kataluma used here does not mean inn as in a hotel room. It means a guest room in somebody's house. Picture this with me for a second. The way that most homes were laid out in this time, there was usually one room for cooking, for dining, and, and a common area. There was another room for sleeping quarters. 
And if they were lucky, a spare guest room upstairs. And then they usually had the stable either in the basement level of the house or in the back of the house, depending on where they were, how the house was arranged. Therefore, if this was the case, then they actually were at Joseph's family's house with Joseph's family. So then why is there no room in the guest room? Why are they still stuck? Well, two potential reasons. Guess what's going on? Why are they there? A census. Guess who else is probably coming to town for the census? More of Joseph's family. Where are they going to stay? As the guy on the TikTok videos does. <laughs> They're going to stay at family members' home. In the Cataluma. In the one guest room that's available. Second reason that this was not an option for Mary and Joseph. Mary is about to give birth. Did I mention she's nine months pregnant? In the time of, uh, uh, of this and, and in Jewish history, birthing was considered and still is to Jews today, is considered a time of uncleanliness. And everything that the, the uh, woman touches during delivery is considered unclean, impure, and, ha and must be discarded. Therefore, nobody would have wanted to share the space with her. Plus, could you imagine the lack of privacy in a crowded guest room when you have family members over who are all compiled in one room? I don't know about you, and I don't know about Mary, but I wouldn't want to have given birth in that room either. And I can picture the family saying, she's not giving birth in here. So I can, you, know, you can picture the conversations that, that came up when they arrived. Therefore, the only option for them to go the only other place in the house that they could go where they had enough privacy and the space that would not be too unclean to be used for the family was the stable. Probably not the way Mary pictured it. Probably not the way Mary planned it. And she was probably disappointed. I don't know about you, but if we had to give birth in a stable, I'd be disappointed. You know, when we look back, at this night, when we read the story, when we, when we, when we sing the songs, I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news to the author of Silent Night, but he had it all wrong. <laughs> the night was not silent, the night was not calm, and the night was not bright. The night was disappointing, the night was depressing, and the night was hard. Life can be that way. And the long-awaited Messiah's birth came in the midst of the messiness and the disappointment and the pain of life. Jesus was born not in a hospital, not even in a guest room, but in a stable among the animals and it keeps going with a feeding trough as his first bed. In the midst of the hardships that Mary and Joseph faced, 
amid the, the deferred dreams and the, and the dashed hopes, this is the message I want you to hear today. God was working to redeem the world. God uses every circumstance that we face for God's good purposes. Even in this instance, the oppression of the Roman government, God was using for God's good purposes. Now, this was not a journey that Mary wanted to take, and she would take another journey shortly after that as, as Mary and Joseph and the newborn Jesus would flee to Egypt to escape the persecution of Herod. And, the, and so they would take that journey as well. But hear this, folks. We will take unwanted journeys in our life. Life will have its moments of disappointments. It's times of overwhelming sorrow and of overwhelming pain and of overwhelming disappointment. But as always, as we see with God, there is good news. The good news is that God not only walks with us on the journeys that we don't want to take, but God works through those journeys. God works in those journeys, and God works despite of those journeys. God redeems them and brings good from them, ensuring that these difficult journeys that we face in life will never, no, never, no, never be the end of our story. Because as we know good and well, the stable was not the end of Jesus or Mary or Joseph's story. But for Jesus and for all of us, the lowest of lows was the beginning to the highest of highs. In hindsight, you know, we can see now what Mary never saw as she entered that stable. You know, she couldn't hear the angels singing. She couldn't see the shepherds running towards them. and She couldn't know that the magi were already on their way from the far east towards their, uh, on their trip to pay homage to the young king. And she certainly couldn't see that you and I would be reading this story every year, year in and year out for 2,000 plus years, reflecting on it for the meaning of our lives and doing it again and again and again for the first time over every single year. You know, the prophet Zechariah spoke to the people of his day who were themselves discouraged with how their journeys were doing and had been going. They were ready to give up hope. Just like in life sometimes, it's easiest just to give up hope. But Zechariah reminded them that one day God would send a king who would deliver his people. Then he called God's people something interesting. Listen to Zechariah 9 verses 11 and 12 and listen for what Zechariah calls the people of God. He says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Zechariah calls God's people prisoners of hope. 
That's an interesting phrase, is it not? To be a prisoner of hope means to be, uh, uh, to, for it to be something that captures us, something that keeps us. To be a prisoner of hope means to be captured by hope. It means to be bound by hope. It means unable to let go of hope no matter how much the life tries to bring us out of it. We are called to be prisoners of hope. Now, hope is a decision that we make. It's a choice to believe that God can take adversity, that God can take the disappointments of this life, that God can take our heartaches, that God can take the pain of our journeys and actually use them to accomplish His purposes. Have you heard that before yet? It's the theme of the series. It's the theme of our lives at this time of year and the rest of our lives. This is precisely what we see happening in Mary's story. We see hope born in the midst of disappointment. How many for us, how often does disappointment overtake us? And we have to be reminded that we're called to be prisoners of hope. Because we serve a God that is so good. That is so good that God would work in and through and despite anything in this life. That's the message of the gospel. I invite you, regardless of the journeys that you are on today, to trust, to have faith, and to have hope that your difficult journey will never be the end of your story because God is by your side because our God has promised that he will never forsake us nor leave us we serve a God that will go with us no matter what Invite God to use your disappointments to accomplish God's purposes today. So how, then, will we turn over to God what it is that we're hoping for? You know, the hardest part of that is releasing it from our grip so that way we can let God take it over for us. As a prisoner of hope, that's what we are called to do. Turn over to God our disappointments. Turn over to God our disappointments and, and, and the journeys that lead to that disappointment. Turn over to God the heartache and allow God to work through it despite of us. How are we going to do that this week? How, how are we doing that individually in our individual lives? How are we doing that as a church for the people that we serve? How are we doing that for the people that we love and how are we doing that for the people we are called to love? That's the question for us to ponder this Christmas. And this is the gospel message for us today. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.